today on Ag News Daily. I would say that, that Twitter is actually a really great way to, um, you know, kind of gauge what the market is interested in. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is sunny in the Corn Belt. I hate to say that out loud, but I think the market has already caught notice. We're down in the grains across, uh, well, you know, everything. We'll get to that here in just a little bit. But first, I've got to introduce my co-host for the day, Delaney Howell. How you doing? I'm a little sleepy, and I'm actually going to retort your statement because my dad texted me this morning and said they were getting a ton of rain so far over there about... Iowa City and East, they're getting some rain today. So it's not sunny everywhere. Well, that's true. And we had rain come through the Grinnell area at about 7 o'clock this morning. But uh, the sun and hot winds are doing their part to sort of dry things out a little bit. And, uh, you know, actually, as of right now, I just pulled up my radar. We are recording at one fifteen, and Dale is in the clear. He's got sun right now. Okay. Well, good. <laughs> well, it's good, except for the fact that we've taken 10 cents off corn on the day as the market, you know, tries to grapple with more sunshine and the thought that more folks are going to get out into their fields. But speaking of being outstanding in their fields, we've got our great intern joining us today as well, Madison Honkamp. Madison, how you doing? I'm doing great, Mike. We haven't really had any rain here in Winterset, so it's starting to dry up a little bit. Well, there we go, folks. There's your update across uh, across Iowa weather for the day. But uh, before we get into the markets and talk about everything that is has moved today, grains down, meats up, dairy up, Delaney, what headlines are jumping out at you in the world of agriculture? Well, definitely one I've been doing some reading and brushing up on today, and I'm not going to lie to you, I'm not a whole lot clearer on it, but maybe a little bit more so, is just the whole premise around these delayed planting dates that we're seeing, as well as the new assistance package that was passed by Congress, finally and waiting for President Trump to sign, of course, the extra $3 billion that was granted for farmers who have been affected by, well, primarily wet weather in this case, we're still kind of waiting to see what this really truly means for agriculture. But I was reading a great article, and I shared it on our Twitter at Ag News Daily, folks, if you want to read it for yourself. But to summarize the article... According to USDA's Risk Management Agency, some farmers may get higher coverage for prevent plant payments and coverage, but it sounds like widespread not everybody will because the language that is written in there right now, unless Secretary Purdue changes it, so they're looking at maybe raising the amount of prevented planting coverage, which is 60% is the coverage factor... Or yeah, 60% of the coverage factor for soybeans and 55% for corn. They're maybe looking at potentially changing that. I also was reading up today, and it sounds like in response to a request from both the Agricultural Retailers Association, as I'm sure other commodity groups, folks want to get planted. And we know, and we've talked about it, well, maybe we'd see insurance states change, but according to the USDA, they said they cannot change crop insurance contracts to extend the planting season. Those are binding contracts. So unfortunately, although everybody wants to see those dates change, it sounds like those are set in stone for sure. Yes. Yep. Yep. Once you sign that contract, USDA is out of the picture. It's between you and the crop insurance company, and that's what they build their risk profiles on. So 
Oh, not going to see any shifts there. No. The only thing would be, of course, if we see Secretary Purdue decide that they would be eligible for assistance package programs. And, of course, what is really going to happen here with Prevent Plant and that disaster aid package that does give some, technically does give some extra provisions to farmers affected by wet weather and flooding and all that stuff. Right. Now, Delaney, I've got a million-dollar question for you. Okay. This disaster aid package was bipartisan in the Senate. It was bipartisan in the House, passed by over three quarters of both uh, both the uh, you know, chambers of Congress. Mm-hmm. Is there any reason we think President Trump might not sign it? That's a good question. Um, I think, well, I know to so the border issue, the border wall and border protection right. was an issue. And President Trump wanted to see that as part of it. Republicans really pushed to get that as part of the package. Not necessarily this package, but just, you know, like an adjoining piece. That would be my only speculation. Okay. So we don't know. He's still in Britain, I believe, doing the state visit over there with Theresa May, talking Brexit and all that sort of stuff. So I guess we'll have to see when he gets back whether or not his pen hits paper on this legislation. Yes. Sounds like that's going to be the case. Well, there's another thing that might or might not see President Trump's pen hit paper, and that is the proposed 5% and then escalating tariffs going to Mexico. Uh, Peter Navarro, who is Trump's trade advisor, uh, he is the one who has been very, very resilient on pushing for increased tariffs on China. He was on one of the talk shows, one of the, you know, DC blah 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 shows, and I forget which one, but he said that... Uh, He's thinking that we might not have to put these tariffs into place. Mexico is sending people to D.C. to start negotiations and maybe come to an agreement before the tariffs are scheduled to go into effect on June 10th, I believe. Yes, that is right. So so time will tell. But um, both President Trump and Peter Navarro sound optimistic that perhaps we won't need to see those 5% tariffs go into place on Mexican goods, which then prevents us from seeing retaliatory tariffs come into effect for Mexico. So that would be a, a win, especially if if Mexico, you know, is going to follow through and curb uh, illegal immigration. Yeah, it sounds like I have a bit of a follow up story to that. It sounds like they're going to see Mexico present a proposal to the White House today to, you know, of course, control this border stuff. But apparently they're Mexico's foreign minister told reporters he believes there's an 80% chance the two countries will be able to reach an agreement and stop the U.S. from imposing these tariffs. While President Trump did not uh, say that that was the case at all, he said, quote, they're going to meet on Wednesday and we're going to see if we can do something, but I think it's more likely that the tariffs go on and we'll probably be talking during the time that the tariffs are on and they're going to be paid. He said that in huh. a uh, press conference while he was in the UK with uh, Prime Minister Theresa May, which has nothing to do with, of course, the uh, U.S.-Great Britain trade negotiations. But uh, he apparently took the time to talk about Mexico while he was there. I well, actually, you know, go ahead, I, Madison. I saw that. I was actually at the dentist and they had um, that pulled up on like CBS or something. It was... Um, Theresa May and then Trump, they were just answering questions from reporters and they, a reporter actually asked, well, how Mm. do you see this thing going on with Mexico? And I was like, why are you asking that right now? 
because um, this, I mean, his visit was mostly about Brexit and our relations with the UK. Yeah. So I was so confused when they asked about Mexico. Okay. Well, well, you know, I think if you, if you get a president somewhere, you get the chance to ask the president a question, you, you shoot your shot, you know? That's true. Shooters, shooters got to shoot. It's what you got to do. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think it's interesting. I'm going to hit on this one more time, even though our listeners, I know, are sick to death of hearing this point. I don't think it gets brought up enough. President Trump said the tariffs will go on and Mexico will pay, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, they won't. Listeners, we will pay. We're going to pay a 5% tax on everything we import from Mexico. Mexico isn't going to pay anything. That's not how tariffs work. End rant. Okay. Um, it's a five percent tax on us. We put on ourselves, so Mexico will stop illegal immigration, shooting ourselves. In the anyway, okay, I said end rant. I'm ending my rant. I've got another interesting story coming out of Bloomberg. We have talked about this for some time. JBS, the ongoing investigation that has been uh, just about three years in play down there in Sao Paulo, onto the Batista brothers, is coming to an end. The Brazilian government has collected 22 terabytes hmm. worth of data and uh, 600 different uh, interviews with, with various people. They have not released their findings as of yet. The Batistas are still under, I believe, house arrest. I, I think they're out of jail. Uh, the Bloomberg report didn't make it very clear. But um, it, it seems to here in the short term, we're going to see the findings come out as to just how corrupt JBS was in their interactions with both the Brazilian government as it relates to getting contracts and what they knew about the tainted meat that they were shipping around the world um, that we learned about here, what, late? Late March last? Yeah, March, I think. Yeah, okay. I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So stay tuned. We'll have those results forthcoming, and uh, I'm just... It'll be interesting to see what actually ends up happening if those boys end up uh, mm. spending some time in the pokey or if they just get a big old <laughs> fine. I, I don't know. It's hard to say, really. It is. It is. I mean, it's, it's Brazil. It's a different, yeah. very different legal climate than we would have here in the U.S. Yeah, definitely. Wow. All right. And it's hard to say who they've got in their back pocket. Uh, well, after this, it sounds like probably nobody mm. if they've uh, really done this good of a job of investigation. All right. Well, Madison, what do you have for some news for us today? I just have this one kind of headline that I found. Um, My dad actually sent it to me. Um, He saw it at work and it's about China and they're expected to divert their outstanding U.S. soybean cargoes into reserves. Um, I more just had a question on this and see if you guys could answer, if any of our listeners could answer it. Um, But basically, China will stockpile up to 7 million metric tons of soybeans bought from the United States during our earlier truce in in the trade war between our nations. Um, So instead of crushing them for immediate sale or as a feed ingredient, they're basically just putting them into storage. Yes. Yes, they are. And it's interesting. I've been kind of chewing on this. We we talked about it a little bit yesterday. Mm -hmm. I think a big part of the reason is if China says these are going into state stockpiles, the government doesn't have to pay the tariffs that they Mm. put on U.S. soybeans. So that's my guess. It's, It's a money saving move is my take. But listeners, 
Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter. Just search for Ag News Daily. If you're plugged into what happens over in China and how their brains operate, we'd sure love to hear from you. What other possible reason could there be for doing this um, other than have money savings? Yeah, because I saw that and I was like, why are you putting that into storage and when you could be using it for your own needs, basically? Well, I think they usually do this. I mean, this isn't unusual for China to have stockpiles of grains either. True, true. They like the security, I think, of knowing that Mm -hmm. if if everything hits the fan, they've got a big old pile of beans or corn somewhere they can turn Mm -hmm. to and kind of, you know, give the middle finger to the rest of the world. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) or sell it back at quite the premium. Yes, right, yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. But yeah. more than likely, they'd let it go out of condition and they'll right. rot and then they'll just have to buy more. So eh, maybe a win-win. Maybe. Well, um, I have just one other piece of news here. I think it hopefully will be a little more bullish for the grain markets. We've got Informa's estimates for the 2019 crop. And, of course, we really won't see what acreage got planted until end of June here for that uh, report. But Informa estimated U.S. 2019 corn acres are going to be about 84.9 million acres. Originally, the USDA was estimating about 92.8, so down pretty significantly there. They're also dropping their corn yield for this growing season to 174. I believe trendline yield currently was 176, so we saw just a two-bushel drop there. Estimates for the soybean crop. Not a big surprise here. They were pegging us at about 84.6 million acres. They're still estimating that about 85 million acres. Yield-wise, they are putting us about 51.1 for the yield for 2019. Mike, do you remember what last what the uh, trend line yield is? I, I can't remember that off the top of my head. I, I mean, I feel like I that's 52. Yeah. Right. They're real close. I saw these numbers come out this morning, mm. and the uh, conversation on Twitter was that uh, both yields for corn and soybeans were pegged astronomically high. Right. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of stock put in that number, so I didn't didn't do a whole lot for the markets today. I think we can no. say safely. No, I, I think the big takeaway for me, at least, was just that they are definitely starting to readjust the corn acreage number. Right. And we'll see if USDA makes any big moves on their WASDE report, which drops on thir- next next Thursday, this Thursday. Well, there's the report on the 29th. Yeah, we got quarterly stocks, yeah. but I'm thinking WASDE is okay. coming up. Uh, next I need to double check on that. I should probably I know that. <laughs> I should, too. Yeah. Sorry, right, listeners. We're letting uh, you down. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Should we jump into the markets? Let's do it. All right, folks. Our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, you can get expert help managing your marketing risk by giving our friends at Zaner a call. Reach them at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. As I mentioned, down day in the grains as we saw the potential for more acres to go in the ground. July corn down 12 and a quarter cents at 4.13 even. December new crop also down 12 and a quarter to close at 4.31 and three quarters. In soybeans, the July was off 12 cents at 8.69 and three quarters. November new crop down 12 as well to close the day at 8.97 and a quarter. 
in Chicago, eighth of July, off 16 and a half cents, finished at 4.90 and three quarters. The SEP down 17 cents to finish at 4.97 and three quarters. Jumping over to the world of livestock, strength carried off from uh, carried over from yesterday. June live cattle up 30 cents at 107.85, with the August up 62.50 to finish at 104.67 and a half. Big moves in feeder cattle. The August contract was up two dollars even at 139.45. September up a dollar 82 and a half to finish at 139.70. And in lean hogs, mixed trade with the June down a dollar 27.50 at 79.85, and the July. Up 47.50 to close at 86.27 and a half. We did see some movement to the upside today in dairy. June class three milk up 21 cents, closed at 16.13, with the July also up 21, bringing the finish to 16.52. Now we're going to get our heads wrapped around some issues that are facing agriculture on the global scale with Reuters reporter Karen Braun. Well, today we're getting to know one of the ladies behind, I'm sure, a column that you all follow closely. We're talking with Karen Braun, who is a global agricultural columnist at Reuters and writes a ton of great articles that I know Mike and I both report on here on the podcast. Karen, first of all, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So, Karen, before we get into really the nitty gritty of what's going on right now in the global agricultural markets. Tell us, how do you go about picking the articles and the content that you kind of report or write on each week? You know what? I would just say following the markets every day and um, just kind of seeing what people are talking about. I would say that, that Twitter is actually a really great way to, um, you know, kind of gauge what the market is interested in. And, and some of the posts that I make, uh, you know, if they get more traction than I thought they would, or if people are asking really interesting questions that I haven't thought of, you know, sometimes that that will spark an idea or, um, you know, make me realize something that I didn't before. So, you know, just staying on top of it, talking with people and just seeing what people are chatting about really just, um, you know, drives me to, um, you know, get to the bottom of it. Well, Karen, one of the things that, of course, a lot of growers and traders are talking about on Twitter and in the real world is this terrible, terrible delay to the start of planting season, which it's crazy. We're still talking start of planting season on June 4th. But bring us up to speed. You work with growers all across the Corn Belt. You cover uh, six of them, right, for Crop Watch? Yeah, so so there's eight growers actually, and um, and this is something that I that I've sort of started myself two years ago, and it's expanded to um, what it is today. So so I follow eight growers in um, so it's North Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa, Minnesota, Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio, and so um, and they're the same growers uh, that I had last year. And so every week I basically talk to these growers and I ask them about the progress in their area, you know, of course now, and then once we get into the season, I'll ask them about the crop ratings in their area, you know, what people in their area are saying about yields or, you know, any struggles they might be having. And then of course, when the harvest comes, they're all telling me about harvest progress and how yields are turning out. So it's a really good way to get consistent information uh, week to week from the same fields. And, And what's great about this year is that, you know, I have all the information from last year and so I can compare with all these locations and the same guys um, can go back and check while, you know, this field was planted a month after the same field, you know, a year ago. And so that's, you know, and that helps to track throughout the season to, you know, make those comparisons and, um, you know, really to try to give everyone maybe a perspective on what to expect here with, with yield going forward. Yeah. And Karen, what are you hearing as far as 
Yield drag is obviously a huge issue or a huge concern for growers as well as am I going to take prevent plant? Am I going to try right. and force a crop in? What are you hearing from those eight growers? Sure. You know what? I'm hearing a mixture of things, honestly. I mean, there are some, um, you know, for example, the Minnesota grower who actually got his crop in on time uh, for the most part, um, you know, says that his corn actually looks pretty decent. And, um, you know, as well as in, in Iowa, I mean, you know, the grower there says that, you know, his crop that has emerged looks okay, but, you know, he can easily go to fields nearby to find crops that don't look okay. Um, you know, and, and, and being so delayed, you know, record delayed at 67% planted um, as of Sunday, I mean, that is way behind, you know, any other previous year. Um, we don't really have a very good baseline to go off of. So, um, and, and, and then you factor in how much, you know, seed technology has improved and, you know, maybe we're planting shorter varieties now. So, so you know, the, the growing season actually has a different set of requirements maybe now, you know, weather-wise than maybe the previous time we faced something like this, or we really haven't ever. But, um, you know, so I think that we're really just in uncharted waters. And um, that's why something like CropWatch um, and, you know, talking with growers and constantly monitoring you know, what's actually going on on the ground is going to be really important this year to try to gauge, um, you know, where we're headed. It sure is. And Karen, you know, when we think about other stories in the ag world, a major one that just will not go away, continues to be in the news, is, of course, African swine fever, and it's spread across Asia and Southeast Asia in particular. Bring us up to speed with what you've been hearing. Where do we stand with ASF? And my question to you as a journalist is, can we trust China's reporting on the issue? Well, I think to answer your last question, I think that, you know, at first, um, everyone was sort of skeptical about, you know, we know this ASF thing is going on. And, you know, this really popped up, I would say, last August, so almost a year now. And, and so, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people were thinking, well, China's probably covering up the situation. It really could be worse than it is. And then suddenly, you know, back in March, we started hearing about all these other cases and then USDA started reporting on it. And then we're hearing, oh, no, there's now more than 100, 120 cases being reported. So, so I think that that issue is maybe a little bit, uh, you know, less of a concern now that it's like it's, it's really out there. Um, but, you know, I, I think when you take a look at, um, you know, the pork exports or I'm sorry, the export sales of the U.S. Um, on pork. And considering that there's like a 62% tariff or something, something in that neighborhood, um, you know, that China has on U.S. pork. And the fact that they are coming in and making historically large purchases of U.S. pork at this time, um, you wouldn't think there would be any other reason really for that, especially being in a trade war. I, I mean, why else would they do that unless they really, really needed uh, the meat? Yeah, I think that's uh, been definitely reflected in the export sales Karen, the other question I have around African swine fever is how many hogs, I mean, now we're starting to hear reports of it being confirmed in Korea, I think South Korea, maybe in North Korea, both, uh, Vietnam. How many hogs Mm -hmm. do you think that African swine fever has or will affect in Southeast Asia? And do you think it will come to North America? Well, that is, of course, the fear. Is it coming to North America? And, um, you know, you take all the precautions that you possibly can, but at the end of the day, um, you know, it's an extremely infectious disease. Um, it spreads rapidly, um, obviously, you know, with the animals 
um, and it, it does not that we know of affect humans. But um, but you know I I know that as of the last um, as of USDA's last um, update, I think which was I think at least a month ago now, or maybe even more. But um, they did have I think the total hog herd in China down about twenty percent or so on the year, and that's total heads. But they only had pork production down about 11 percent, and that's because they were expecting, you know, uh, bigger carcass weights um, on those hogs that they were producing. So so the actual impact on pork production is not as severe as maybe the, you know, the loss in actual hogs. But when you're talking about 11 percent loss of pork production in China, um, China produces half of the world's pork. So that's a really humongous chunk um, of pork that is lost, and, and, and they will have to make that up with you know, um, chicken, uh, you know, beef, pork from other countries, um, meat from other countries. I mean, they will have to fill that deficit somehow. I mean, they will have to rely on imports at this point. Uh, Yeah, definitely. So, Karen, that leads me to my next question. If we do see China and we will see China inevitably switch some of their tastes and preferences as a consumer base, do you think long term, this has been an idea that's been circulating that long term, will they transition away from having pork be a staple part of their diets? That is really hard to, to answer because I know that one of the impacts of um, this whole ASF thing, um, and even USDA reported on it, is that um, despite the fact that ASF does not affect humans, uh, you know, the optics of this um, looks really bad for Chinese consumers. And so, um, you know, maybe the demand is slightly reduced um, because of that, because, you know, Chinese consumers are afraid to, to eat pork. Um, so, so that is, at least in the near term, something that, that could impact uh, the demand as well. Um, but in the long term, you know, it's really hard to know. Uh, for a country that, you know, produces and then consumes half of the world's pork, um, I mean, it would be a huge thing if they were to shift uh, away from that trend. But, um, but given, given the number of people they have, um, it would kind of, I think it would take a long time to really switch away from that trend, um, if I'm being honest. But, um, but in the meantime, you know, it's going to be great for, um, or it should be great for, you know, poultry producers, beef producers, pork producers um, around the world. I mean, anyone that produces protein, um, you know, China might be, you know, knocking on their door soon. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, Kara, those are all stories that, of course, have consumed a lot of column inches on Reuters and, of course, lots of minutes here on the podcast. What are some emerging issues that you're keeping an eye on right now that our listeners need to be uh, keeping an eye on as well? Gosh, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, while we have all our, our um, issues here with the, the U.S. corn and soybean crops uh, in the U.S., um, you know, Brazil is harvesting a humongous crop right now, a humongous corn crop. Um, I know that estimates are, uh, you know, over 100 million tons now, and that and that is record. Um, and some are up to, you know, in the mid to upper uh, 100s, um, maybe even up to 110. And that and I mean that would certainly, um, you know, be competing with uh, with the U.S. Uh, exports. And we've seen a decline in in uh, export sales, uh, you know, exports uh, for the U.S. Um, in the last few weeks here. So um, you know, we're definitely feeling that competition out of Brazil and Argentina. Um, and so that's something that we definitely have to keep an eye on and are those corn exports and that competition. But, um, you know, I, I really think that, that the U.S. crop, it, it's going to be difficult to peel people away from this right now. And um, I, I think that, that the next thing is going to be uh, kind of establishing this crop and, and going through the summer. And the one thing that, 
you know, I'm starting to notice is that, you know, we are so behind on the planting um, and the emergence is, is, is even, you know, worse behind, you know, when you can, you compare it to average, but um, we actually have a pretty cool forecast uh, heading through mid June here. Um, and given how slow we are in emergence, I mean, that is not, that is not a favorable uh, forecast here. I mean, we need to get some heat on this crop. We need to get it emerged, um, you know, get it out of the ground, um, you know, so that we can get things going. And so this, in my mind, uh, you know, if this pans out, it's just going to slow things down even more and really just kind of, you know, push you up against, uh, you know, uh, I guess up against the fall, you know, in some cases where, you know, frost and freeze are a concern. Oh, definitely, Karen. I think really the only other big question I have for you, and I know it's something that you talk about in your columns, and that's this huge uh, near billion bushel carryover that we have. We've got Brazil and Argentina chugging full steam ahead with soybean uh, production and harvest. But then when you look at the U.S., mm-hmm. we're having all of these growing issues. Is there any scenario in your mind where we see carryover numbers start to deplete from having wet weather here in the U.S.? Well, I mean, I think that you are at this point, um, you know, and a lot of growers will tell you that, um, you know, the later you plant the soybeans, the the more you're risking yield because the uh, because soybeans really depend on length of day um, in, in sunlight. And so um, and so, you know, you, you cut that short and, and your yield potential may not be, uh, you know, quite as high as in years past. And so, you know, we're probably not facing maybe a 52, uh, you know, yield like we did uh, three years ago. Uh, but, uh, you know, w- with with the uh, issues that we're having with corn planting, I mean, you don't really know whether or not growers are going to opt to um, switch some of those acres over to soybeans, and we might get, you know, a few more acres than we expected. Um, you know, that really just depends on the price and, you know, a grower's specific situation, whether, you know, that's a profitable scenario for them or not. Um, and I think that that is pretty variable um, around the country right now. So, uh, you know, I do think that we we could potentially see um, a cut down in stocks from that one billion that you mentioned on, on the soybeans. Um, but, you know, we, we really have a long ways to go before we, you know, bring that down to uh, to normal levels. And I think that with the, um, you know, trade war with China and then, of course, their reduced demand uh, based on the African swine fever, I think that there's definitely um, going to be, uh, you know, potentially a, a multi-year process to kind of whittle, whittle that down. But, um, you know, maybe we can get it under a billion, um, you know, with these crop problems here. Well, time will tell. We do have a lot of our growing season left ahead of us. Karen, you are always keeping farmers up to date. Give us some information. How can they keep up with you? What are some of the best ways to contact you and uh, keep reading your stuff or catch you on TV? I would just say to follow me on Twitter. My handle is K-A-N-N-B-W-X, or you can just search Karen Braun um, and you will find me there. Um, and if you want to follow along with the crop watch on Twitter, um, it is just going to be hashtag crop watch 19. And you can see all the photos that I post, um, weekly, um, from, from each of the eight fields or actually 16 fields. Fantastic listeners. Be sure to check it out. Be sure to follow Karen. If you're ever flipping through channels and you catch her on some of the big dogs, be sure to stay tuned. She always has fantastic information. Karen, thanks for chatting with us today. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right, well, again, again, a big uh, thank you there to Karen. Folks, I do encourage you to check out some of her stuff on Reuters if you haven't read it, or follow along with her on Twitter. I always learn new things from her Twitter threads, that's for sure.
Yes, indeed. And while you're on Twitter following Karen Braun, you can also follow us. Just go to at Ag News Daily. We are there every day. You can also find us on Facebook or visit us on the web at www.agnewsdaily.com. Madison, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. 